Thank you for listening to our new sermon series, Don't Quit. In the midst of a changing world where darkness grows more each day, Jesus is the reason we do not give up or give in. Jesus is our victory. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We're going to continue in our series of Don't Quit. And there's a lot of, a lot of human reasons for uh, why we why we want to quit, uh, why we have urges to quit, those different types of things. But uh, throughout these uh, summer months, I really want to uh, challenge us to, in our Christian life, to uh, to not quit. And the reason why is because Jesus is our victory. And um, this morning we're going to see once again uh, how how Christ really, really helps us with this. Let's begin in verse number 8 of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse number 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, and they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This morning, I want to preach a message entitled, Jesus Will Come in Glory to Deal with Sin. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, Jesus is going to come in glory, and He's going to ultimately deal with sin. We know that the, uh, the sin blow on the cross when he said it is finished, that was, the, that was the penalty of sin, was completely taken care of in Christ when those that have accepted Christ. But you and I, we have that day-to-day uh, battle with sin. And uh, so I'm thankful that he's going to uh, come someday and uh, he's going to deal with that. And uh, let's have one more word of prayer and uh, let's ask God to, uh, to bless this. Father, we come before you and uh, Lord, I need you to Uh, to work through this time, and uh, Lord, I believe that you have been lifted up and glorified in our service this morning. And God, I know that you see our hearts. I can say that collectively. Our desire was to to lift you up and to not examine and uh, worry about others in this room, but uh, Lord, you saw us as individuals. Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to come and to worship an audience of one, you, each and every Sunday. Uh, But God, we pray that, Lord, now as we listen, now as I preach, now as your word will uh, be unveiled, and I pray that your spirit would give us an understanding of what the text says before us, that, Lord, we also would realize that as we listen and as I deliver, Lord, we are still worshiping you. And, Lord, you are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our attention Uh, these next few moments. And uh, Lord, I hide behind the cross this morning and I desire to only lift you up. And Lord, we give you all the glory and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over these last several weeks, we've been been studying the one that will come onto the scene, the uh, the Antichrist, and uh, who's going to be human evil in all of its capacity. It's going to reach its diabolical worst uh, in this man during the tribulation time. He's going to be more powerful. He's going to be more evil than Stalin or Hitler or Nero 
or any other world leader that you can think of, and you really can kind of encapsulate all of those together, and you're going to understand uh, who this uh, Antichrist will be. But I want us to look here briefly in our text here before we kind of get into some of the meat and then we'll come back uh, to this at, at the end. But how is the Antichrist going to be overthrown? We spent, a, we spent a lot of time talking about him and what his nature is going to be like and, uh, and kind of how we can uh, learn from the text of, uh, of how he works. But how is he going to be overthrown? And we see here in our text that Christ... Christ is going to blow on him, or he's going to—he's going to—he's going to speak. Other words, he's going to breathe his his life, a spirit on him. Look at verse number eight of our text. And when shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit, or kind of the kind of the breath of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming? So the Son of God is going to be revealed here in this text. And he's going to be just like maybe a child at their birthday blows out candles. And as we get a little bit older, there's more candles, right? And it takes a little bit more of a breath, right, as the older we get. I I think I'm trying to get to the point where I just want like a three and then an eight come April. You know, 38 is too hard to to get all of those. But that's that's kind of the idea here there. He's this evil is going to be is going to be overthrown. Now, when the Bible speaks about the last days or when you read about a, um, a battle in Revelation of Armageddon, I don't want you to imagine this, this like struggle of Jesus Christ like clinging to a victory or like, you know, those Rocky movies where they're just like everybody's bloody. You think Rocky's going to die and then at the end all of a sudden he gets am- any Rocky fans in here? couple of you? Oh, awesome. Which one's your favorite? We can talk after church. But, you know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to picture that. Now, you and I are going to be there if you understand the timeline of Revelation for the, the Christians. They're going to come back. We're going to be on white horses and kind of a, a, descending there to the Valley of Megiddo there. And, but it's not going to be this big struggle. It's not going to be this, you know, punch for punch and then, you know, like Manny Pacquiao last night with one uppercut you know, finally he wins. No, it's not going to be like that. Jesus is literally just going to breathe or speak and the enemies of the world are going to be overthrown. Now listen to me. That is sovereign power. That is the type of power that is actually ruling even now in the world in which we live. But let's kind of get a glimpse of how God deals with the enemy uh, throughout Scripture here. Psalm 1, it says, The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Isaiah 40 says, That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Psalm 37, verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither in the green herb. Do you see how wonderful this is? You and I, we live in a world that seems like the enemy is winning. You you turn on the news, um, 
or literally you don't even have to turn on anymore. You got notifications on your phone. I mean, it seems like all day long you're getting notifications and, you know, things are evil. The evil reports abound. And yet this sovereign king is ultimately going to going to win. And he's winning now, even though it doesn't always feel like he's winning. What a wonderful glimpse of who Jesus is and who our Savior uh, really is. And so he's going to He's going to kind of just, he's going to speak or he's going to, he's going to breathe on them. But he's also, Christ is going to blind him. He's going to blind him. We see also in verse number 8, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I mean, so he's going to breathe on him and he's literally going to uh, just, it's going to consume him. And then it's the blindness also uh, of his glory. The brightness of his glory is literally going to blind him. I can think of another story in the Bible. Y'all remember Saul of Tarsus? I mean, that, he, he, was a, he was a mover. He was a shaker. He was a man that was able to get things done. He had his letters. He was persecuting the church. He literally uh, had letters that allowed him to literally bring them to death. And I mean, he was a man that brought change. And he was on a road to Damascus. And do you remember he saw brightness? And he saw the brightness of our resurrected king. He saw the brightness of Jesus Christ and it literally it just blinded him for several days. It, it kind of it paralyzed him, so to speak. And so the splendor of the risen Christ literally can do that. How many of you remember the, uh, the, the solar eclipse that we had last year? Remember? Uh, do you remember where you were? And uh, I think it was, I can't remember what day it was on, but it was a day where uh, we were down in Palo Alto. I can't remember if it was lunchtime or what. And I mean, the city was packed right down there by University Avenue. I think I was going to the chiropractor. And I mean, there were just people everywhere and they all had their, they all had their glasses and some of them had their, you know, boxes like their, you know, their, you know, their cereal boxes and things like that. And why? Because there were articles that were written leading up to it where it's saying, hey, you can't look at the sun, even though it is eclipsed for even that, you know, don't even look at it for the shortest amounts of time because you can cause damage. And I remember my son, I mean, he takes things so literally, which there was absolute good advice to that. But my son was terrified that he would look up at the sun accidentally and his eyes would just burn out. You know, like he had seen he had seen some picture or something like that. And so we're walking on a busy street there, University Avenue. We're walking to our chiropractor, and the kid's like this. I mean, he won't even, he won't even look up. And it's like, Blake, you've got, you got to pay attention. He was so terrified. So think about that. I mean, and good advice, right? None of us just go around and be like, ah, let's just look at the sun. Okay, we don't do that. Imagine the creator of the sun. Imagine his splendor. Imagine the God of the universe can create something in, in, in the sun, our, our, our power to our solar system, and it be so bright that you can't look at it. But imagine the Creator behind that. He's going to come in glory here, and He's going to blind the Antichrist. He's going he's to control him. It's going to literally destroy him. Now I want you to remember what this chapter is about. This chapter is about wisdom... For discerning the battle. To prevail in any battle, you need to know what you're up against. And we've, we've spent a lot of time looking into the Antichrist. We've looked at the battle as we face as Christians and how 
the root of sin still remains in us. I want to I want to clarify something that maybe was a little confusing two weeks ago. Okay, what I was saying is is that the spirit of Antichrist earlier in this text, the spirit of Antichrist, it's present today. And so we're seeing the effects of it. And when you and I, when we go against God, remember what the Antichrist does. He takes place in, uh, you know, in, in the temple there and he says, no need for a sacrifice. I am the new law. Remember what he's going to do. And so when you and I sin, when you and I go against God, when you and I are not conscious and aware of him, you and I are sinning like the spirit of Antichrist is working today. I was not saying that you and I would be the Antichrist. Okay, just want to clear that up for anybody uh, with that. And I think I also said a couple weeks ago that uh, that, that Satan uh, that, that he only uh, that he only hates us when we're lost. Now he hates us now when we're saved, lost the whole time. He always hates us, right? And God always loves us. Okay. So I just want to I want to clarify that. But we've been studying him and how that sin can affect us. That's why we experience inner conflict. And that conflict is going to continue until Christ ultimately comes in His presence. And He brings us into His presence. But today what I want us to do is I want us to look at the the mystery of sin in the life of an unbeliever. But really, kind of just the effect of sin in general. What does this secret power look like in the life of your unbelieving friend? Or your unbelieving relative? Or your neighbor? This person does not see anything of the splendor of Christ. It does not yet have the life of Christ living in their soul. This is of a huge importance. And it's important for this reason. What you believe about sin will shape your convictions about missions and evangelism. How we engage in this work and what we think needs to be done will in a large will be a large measure shaped by what we believe that the human problem really is. Okay? And so someone recently was speaking to me, it was a couple weeks ago, they're they're witnessing to a coworker. And they said, they, they, they said, Pastor, man, this guy, he lives like the devil, but he's got a good heart. And I was like, wait a minute. You you he he lives like the devil but he's got a good heart. Yeah. You know, something, something's wrong there, right? If someone, if someone is living like the devil, then something no doubt is probably wrong with the heart, right? And so what does sin do in our lives? What does sin do in the lives of unbelievers? Well, Jesus said this in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. And so sin, sin is a secret power. Sin is a secret power that's working in the soul. These verses give us a a devastating analysis of the verses that we read in 2 Thessalonians of its power, of its outward effect in our life we've seen what sin is over the last couple weeks kind of just generalized it but now i want to discover what it does what does it do 
And so this morning we're going to look at the seven bitter fruits of sin. What are some what are some nasty bitter fruits in your life and in my life, certainly the unbeliever's life of when sin is present. Okay? Stick with me because we're going to once again we're going to need Christ at the end. First of all, when someone is struggling with sin, it is deceptive or deception. Deception. Why don't you look at verse number 10? And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish. Notice what Scripture says. Kind of defining evil or the, the absolute evil one. This spirit of Antichrist. This, the, 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 this sin that's working in this world. I think all of us would admit here this morning that we still sin. Okay? Well, it's deceptive. Deceivableness. Evil equals deception. Okay? Satan makes sin look attractive. Okay? When you are watching TV and there's some there's some sinful material that goes on, they don't go to the ugliest place on the planet, whatever that might be, and say, "Hey, here's how you have a good time." Or they don't go snag what the world would deem as ugly. We know in God's eyes nobody's ugly. We're all created equal. Amen? But the way the world would deem it, they don't go pick that. You know, They try to pick what the world would view as the most beautiful and say, hey, here's how you have a good time. He sells sin and he does so with attractiveness. That is the nature of sin. It always does that. Now listen to me. Some sin will disgust you. Some sin, you're going to wonder in yourself, man, how could anybody do that? Some of it's going to absolutely disgust you. Like messing with children, right? My dad worked in prison, or worked in a hospital in a prison for a short period of time. And he would often tell me, he would say, Ryan, you know, like, uh, like the rapists and like the adult murderers, you know, the people that murdered adults, they were always okay. But people that messed with kids... You had to keep them in isolation. Why? Because all of a sudden, even in prison, there's a, there's a moral code. And so some things disgust us. But some things don't. Some things people don't have a problem with. Some people have no problem with getting drunk. And yet we can go to Scripture. Oh, it got a little... Right? Some people don't have a problem with that. Some people will look at, you know, other, you know, like, oh, the sin of, you know, the 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 the, the sin of, um, you know, whatever, murder. Yet they'll look at pornography. You, you following me? It's deceptive. We all have them. I obviously went to radical extremes, but listen, we all have those. Man, I'd never do that. And yet you and I, we are deceived because some things are okay with us. Some things we do. Some people cheat on their taxes. Some people do this and some people do all that. Why? Because we've been deceived. The spirit of Antichrist, that, that spirit is actually still working right now. And so there is deception. That started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Ah, did God really say that, Eve? And then obviously we have the fall of man. So deception. We okay? I was teasing with some people. I said, ah, oh, Mike gave it to you light last week and he was just preparing for this week. Number two, perishing. Perishing. 
there's an idea or there's, there's a biblical theology that you and I, apart from Christ, we are perishing. It's like, it's, it's an active word here in this text. Look at verse number 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. I didn't put the verse up there, but I should have. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And then Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, changes that, praise God. Okay, But everyone that is walking on this earth, they are already dead spiritually. Okay, They're just walking towards their physical death. And Jesus changes that, 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 that spiritual death because we're all going to obviously physically die someday. But there is a theme that runs right through the life of a person who is without Jesus Christ. There is an unraveling of the life that is going on right now. It's taking them down. It's making them become less and less and less. They're perishing. That is a process that has already begun. Every person is in that state. okay? And Christ is the one that changes that. So sin, it deceives us. Sin has an effect. It's perishing, so to speak. Number three, refusal to love the truth. Refusal to love the truth. Okay, Verse number 10 again. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth. These people heard the truth. They refused to believe it. But the real issue here is not just the refusal to, it, it, to hear it, it's the refusal even to love it. The heart governs the life more than the head. The greatest barrier to faith lies not in the doubts of the mind, but it lies in the desires of the heart. The root of unbelief lies not in the head, but it's in the heart. There's a, there's a, there's a love problem. There's a, there's, a, there's a desire problem. And that goes to uh, something else that we're desiring here. Let me give you a root number or, or fruit number four. Delights in wickedness. It delights in wickedness. Verse 12. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness is the explanation of not believing the truth. Where the heart loves wickedness, hear me, the mind cannot embrace the truth. It's impossible. Where the heart and the mind loves wickedness, the mind cannot embrace the truth. Say, well, pastor, this is kind of a description of you know, those that are lost. Agreed. That would be the direct interpretation. But the Spirit is present still. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever approached you about a specific area that you might struggle in and there's no hearing them? I mean, they might bring truth to you they might be able to open up Scripture and they might be able to look, but there's no hearing them. And there's sometimes that in my life. Why? Because I'm choosing to love the pleasure more than I want to hear the truth. Do you realize sometimes I face this as a pastor on Sunday mornings? I do. Meaning, I'm going to give the truth, but people, I, I don't want to hear it. 
I don't want to hear that. I want to continue to do this. I want to continue to go down this path. I want to continue to to say this. I want to continue to do this. I want to continue to go there. I want to continue to listen to this. I want to continue to watch this. I want to continue to consume this. All that. And so what happens is if we're not careful, I'm not saying that we are anti that we are the antichrist, but that spirit can even impact us to where we are saying, no, 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 I know better than the truth. I'm going to love that. I'm going to love that pleasure more than I'm going to love the truth. I'm going to love the, the, the momentary feeling of the dopamine of looking at pornography rather than the truth of I should guard my eyes and mind and heart like Pastor or like Mike preached on for those, uh, for those weeks back in the spring. And so if we're not careful, we're going we're gonna to love the sin more than we're going to love what's right. Now praise God, Jesus, His record gets imputed to us, but our, but our everyday life, our everyday standing here, there's, there is this struggle. Okay, I said this at 10 o'clock. Those that realize that they are deeply in need of grace will be the extenders of grace. And we want to be a church that is an extension of God's grace. But then you and I got to realize that, man, we're getting this every day from God. Oh, thank you. Yes, there are times when I love the pleasure more than I love the Word of God. But it's impossible to do both. John 5 says, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Okay, I probably gave the context there, but you can't, you can't have both. Okay? It's impossible. Let me give you a, a bitter fruit number five. Powerful delusion. Powerful delusion. Just keep, we're just going to keep going through this text. Look at verse number 11. Powerful delusion. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Strong delusion. The reason is that they've refused to love the truth. This is looking down the line of what happens when a person persists in resisting and pushing Christ away. Here are people who have heard the truth and they have refused it. They they, they, they know that they know it's true. The Holy Spirit, remember what his job, one of his jobs, he's pricking the heart. He's saying, yes, this is truth. Yes, this is right. This is what sin does. And then what we're going to do, we're going to reject it. We're going to push it away. And so God gives them what they desire. They do not want the truth. So now ultimately, he's going to make them unable to receive it. There is a major danger. There's a danger in continuing to refuse Christ. As you've heard the word, some of you are putting off a response to Jesus. Ah, I'll become a Christian later, or I'll respond to God in that area later. Dangerous place to be. Even right now, some in their heart might be pushing away the message of Christ or the message of truth from His word. You say, ah, I'll do this later. But you might not be able to. The secret power of sin is at work in you. This is why the Bible says repeatedly and in different ways in Hebrews 3, which is said, Today, if ye will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the propagation. Warren Wiersbe, in his book, uh, Be Ready, it was a study on uh, First and Second Thessalonians. He said this, The human heart becomes harder each time the sinner rejects God's truth. Every time it becomes a little bit harder becomes a little bit easier to be able to just keep going down that path. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't say that. I'm going to do it anyways. It becomes easier to say no to Him next time. I'm going to go here anyways. It just becomes easier. 
You feel him reaching out to you. And you push him away. Say, how do you know all this? Because I do it. Because it's, like it's like a reality in my life. Every time we hear the Word of God, something happens in our souls. The Word of God that we're hearing even today. It's going to make us softer or it's going to make us more resistant to Christ. It leaves you. It never leaves you the same. Never. Jesus said in John 12, Then Jesus said to them, Yet a little while is the light with walk. It is the light with, walk, with you. Walk while... <laughs> that's a tongue tire. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. In other words, it's, we won't always. You're going to ultimately get to the point where it's like, you know what, I don't even want to. I don't even want to hear God anymore. Sinners refuse to love the truth, and down the line they end up with a delusion, and then can no longer see what they used to see. This is how God's judgment works in this world. God gives sinners what they want. That is why a life of resisting God and running from God ends up in an eternity apart from God. In a place of darkness full of God-haters. And the only rescue from that is Christ. The light. But you and I, we still struggle, right? With some of these impulses in our life. Hence why I would preach this message. Predominantly, of course, it's to the unbeliever. It's to, the, it's to your lost neighbor and your coworker and your friend. But this, but this spirit sometimes can still be influential in my life as well as your life. Sixth fruit here, bad fruit. Faith in the lie. Faith in the lie. We okay? We'll, we'll, we'll keep going here. Verse number 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. The lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Satan said, hey, you can be like God. Genesis 3, 5, For God doth know that in the day they eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Hey, you're a, you're a good person. Hey, you don't, you don't need Christ's sacrifice. You can... You can work it out yourself. Remember, the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple saying all of these things. You don't need God. You don't need his word. You don't need his law. When a man feels, I want you to follow this, when a man feels that he is the captain and commander of his own life, that he is his own God, his own law, and that he can stand on the merits of his own goodness, you know that he has swallowed the lie. You know it. He's swallowed, or she, or me at times, swallowed the lie. That, oh, I can, I, I can be like God. I can be God. When you see this going on, for the lost, you know that they're under this power. Okay? But even when it's in our lives, the Spirit can... Can this evil spirit can kind of sometimes affect you and it can affect me. Okay? Let me give you the seventh one here. Condemnation. Praise God, this one's not for us, for those that trust Christ. Praise Him. Verse number 12. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I want us all to say this verse 
together. Okay? Ready? Begin. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. I want you all, don't worry, you won't be cussing at me. It's okay, you're in church. I want you all to say the word damned. Ready? Begin. Damned. I hate that word. I shudder at the words of damned. And the words like condemnation. That's why I love what Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. To them which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. There's no damnation. There's no condemnation now. But the reason that this has meaning for us is because of our text. Our text says that the ultimate destination for those that are going to remain in their sin is damnation. And we've talked about heaven and we've talked about hell, kind of even really even leading into the series. To those who have resisted the claims of the Savior, who have not loved the truth but believed a lie, here's what Christ says in Matthew 7.23, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, I this, just depart from me. These are the seven bitter sins of sin. Hear me. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we sing about Christ. That's why every single week here at Redwood, we make a big deal about the cross. And then what did He do three days later? Rose again from the dead. Every song, we talk about it. We sing about it. We lift it up. Why? Because of the fruits of these sins. And because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus freed you from having to live this way. Jesus freed me from having to live this way. So how do we? So how should you and I use these truths as we get ready to go out these doors? How should we? How should we use them? Well, if if you're lost, trust Christ as your Savior. He's the only way out of the fruits of these nasty, the, the nasty fruits of sin. But as a believer here this morning, how do you how do you use these? Well, first of all, use this truth to mature beyond naive optimism about human condition. Okay? Ah, he lives like the devil, but he's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. He's got a wicked heart, as you and I did prior to being saved. Listen, this world, this world needs more than just to learn how to grow rice. And I'm all for teaching people how to grow rice. They need more than just humanitarian efforts. And I'm all for humanitarian efforts. But humanitarian efforts will never meet the need of their human condition. And it's only Jesus that can do that. And so you and I, we, we got to understand this because if you can understand that and you can apply it to that human condition, that comes to our next point here. Use this truth to shape your convictions about missions and evangelism. Many Christians are utterly unrealistic about what we are up against when it comes to missions and evangelism. If you and I understood the human heart, 
If you and I understood the wickedness that we are capable, all of us ever doing, but the only reason why you and I might not do it is because of Christ, hallelujah for that, but the ability of wickedness, listen to me, you and I, we would understand that we've got to be evangelistic. You and I, we've got to talk about Christ. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. You and I, we've got to, we've got to engage people. We've got to mention that there is a way out from the sin that you're living in, from the nasty fruit of that you're living in. There's a way out of that. There is a way that we can get the gospel around the world, and that is through missions. I don't mention it enough. I was talking to some of our leaders this past Sunday of how we need, we need to talk more about missions. I'm bringing some people in uh, in the fall to talk about missions. But one of the ways that you can impact the world is you can give to missions on that offering envelope. Or if you give digitally, you can give to the church. That's your regular offerings. And then you also can give to missions. And what that does is every dollar that comes in gets divvied up amongst the missionaries that we support and goes around the world. We're going to talk more about that over the weeks to come and bringing that information before you. But listen, when you and I understand the human condition, and we understand that there's families that leave the creature comforts of what you and I enjoy here called America, and they go to some places to preach the gospel, say, hey, I want to be a part of that. But when we don't understand the human condition, guess what? We're weak on prayer. We're weak on prayer. When we don't understand that God is the one that has to break through these strongholds in these people's lives. And so then we don't pray. We don't pray for our country. We don't pray for the, for, for the world. We don't pray for, our, for pray, pray for our leaders. Instead, we just go about our life. But listen, God can make do miracles. God can change hearts. God can save people. What you believe about the secret power of sin will shape your convictions about missions and evangelism. Here's what I have to do in my preaching. And here's what you have to do in your witnessing. You and I, we need to proclaim God's splendor. Try to explain why Jesus is so awesome to you. That's what you ought to do. Jesus said in John 12, If I, I, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So hear me. Lift him up. Lift up Jesus this week. Lift Him up in your conversations. When you're, when you're engaging with people, just literally look for opportunities that you can lift up Jesus. Don't attack another person's lifestyle. Listen to me. They're in that lifestyle because of a heart condition that only Jesus Christ can change. And so if you and I attack all of the lifestyles and we don't ever give them the freeing gospel power of Jesus, that lifestyle is not changing, or at least it won't change for very long. But you give them Jesus. You lift up Jesus. You realize that sin has its impact in the lifestyles. Tell people what you found in Him. The way to overcome the mystery of sin is to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul said in Colossians, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want to know where our hope is? Our hope is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then so here's what Paul says in verse 28, whom we preach. Whom we preach. Lift him up. Speak about him. 
understand the human condition that man is in. Allow that to build some convictions about your evangelism and then those that are taking the missions dollars around the world. And let me give you thirdly, and we're all done. Use this truth to deepen your gratitude for the miracle of your salvation. What makes you different than the absolute drug addict on the street? Jesus. What makes you different than the person that is so sexually addicted that they seek all forms? What makes you different? Jesus. What makes you different than the person that is screaming and yelling and beating their kids? Jesus. Are you thankful for Him? Because listen, apart from Jesus Christ, every single one of these fruits that we talked about would have an immense more, just it would be all over your life. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ ultimately is going to come in glory. That's what the text is about. And He's going to deal with all those. Ultimately, fine, final. But for you and I who live in Christ, it still comes and goes in our life. And so you and I, we ought to, we ought to thank God that our position in Christ has helped us to be able to really not experience all of these fruits. But the lost world all around us, it's just what they do. It's what they say. It's the way they live. It's the fruit of who they are because they are perished They're perishing. They're dead in Christ. And so somebody lift his name up this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and God for the immense power of it. And Lord, I pray this week that you'd help me in the ways that you allow me to interact with people to lift you up. God, help me not to turn my nose down upon someone because of the condition that they're living in when really it's just the fruit of a lost heart, lost soul. And God, I pray that, Lord, you'd give me opportunities to preach Christ this week. I pray that, God, I would get some conviction about those that are taking the gospel to other countries. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to use this truth. Lord, I pray you'd take this hard message, and, Lord, that you would use it in our lives that we would see that sometimes these fruits are very evident in our life. And um, Lord, I pray that, uh, God, it would just make us so thankful for the rescuing power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to give you a moment right now.